Esther, thank you. So hello everybody. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted to start off saying that I feel very privileged actually to be here to be able to give um, a talk actually. Um, because it's been really nice to be able to look back on, on the past few years to see what I've learned really. And I am still a newbie to the Dharma. They came to centre in 2010, so it's not quite five years ago yet. Um, but I have learnt so much and there's so much that I've integrated into my life. And just being able to look back at a few moments has been really really nice actually so uh, yeah what gratitude um, to be here to be able to share what I'm going to say um, I'll just say as well that actually some of the stuff I'm going to talk about I haven't really spoke to anybody about it um, but it feels important for me to be able to vocalise it now really some experiences that I've had and how coming in contact with the Dharma has actually changed that um, changed that aspect for me, you know, from being a really quite dark feeling to being, well, free, actually. Um, so, yeah, so I was thinking about how I would set this talk out. I was thinking, oh, it's about the Dharma and, oh, you know, it's very serious. And, you know, what kind of terms shall I use? You know, shall I look at the laxatives or the scandals or, you know, the ten of this, three of the other, or what am I going to walk out? I don't really know. I was thinking, well, actually, I'll just... I'll just look at my aha moments. So, you know, those moments of insight where I've actually thought, wow, gosh, that's quite amazing, actually. I never thought of it that kind of way. Um, and I suppose, as well, looking at it in terms of a journey. So where I started, as I was term, as in, like, my primary junior school years, <laughs> um, kind of up to now where I feel like... Um, I feel a lot more uh, mature, I suppose, in the way that I think about the Dharma, especially as to go into Taratnaloka in May. So I feel like I'm on the step of high school now. You know, like moving up through the journey. I've left primary school, junior school behind. Still got all the learning, but I'm moving forward. So I kind of see that as my journey, really. Um, so my first aha moment, my moment of insight, was... Um, been introduced to the fact that everybody suffers. And I just thought, wow, gosh, yes, they do. Everybody actually suffers. It never really occurred to me before that that's something everyone would have in common. Even though when you think about it now, it's very obvious. You know, it's, it's clear. Um, but that really opened up a new world of thinking and being for me, actually. Because I think I'd had quite a strong identity about being a victim before I came to the centre. Um, and that was really painful, and there was lots of narratives and stories around, oh, poor me, well, tied me, why is it happening to me, you know, and, and actually to realise where well, everybody suffers, we're all going through things, you know, made me really relax that. Um, and I think probably the moment that I realised that that was actually having an effect was that when I was at school, and actually into the college time as well, I had a speech impediment. And that was really, it was a big story for me, having this speech impediment. It affected me at school. I used to be really nervous in class, every single time I went in class, thinking someone's going to ask me to read something out. I just waves of anxiety. Um, and in college, it lessened a little bit as I got you know, more friends and more confidence. But that, it left me with a really big emotional scar, um, as if, 
I wasn't good enough. And again, this, you know, this victim mentality, why me? And I used to watch programs about people with speech impediments and how they overcome them. And I think, well, why can they do that? And I can't do that. And, and I don't know when the speech impediment went, but it just went. It just did. And I think it was, it was there because it was reinforced by this victim mentality. But, um, you know, again, coming across the Dharma, I realised that actually I was just human, actually. There wasn't anything in particular about me, about why I had a speech impediment and why I created all this narrative. I was just human. Um, and it is strange looking back at that because it isn't something... Because it was so painful at the time. It isn't really something I really spoke about really until now, actually. So I'm really grateful to be able to just vocalise this and just see where I've kind of where I was and then come to now. And it's not painful anymore. You know, the scar that was from my head to my toes is probably about that big now. You know, and it will come up here now and again, but that's because of the Dharma. Um, and kind of my second aha moment was um, realising actually it was okay not to be in a relationship with a bloke. <laughs> I'm not weird or unloved or on the shelf as I used to feel like, I was all stuck on that shelf. Um, and I truly believe that I was a failure, actually, and it was really painful to kind of feel like that. Um, lots of my friends were in relationships, and I would just feel like I was just tagging along as a plus one to couples. Even though my friends never, ever felt like I was a plus one, I did myself. Um, and again, that was really strong, very painful. I just got caught up in the whole narrative around it. Um, and when I came across the Dharma, I kind of realised, well, you know, we're all interconnected. However, we all have to find our own, own path on this way. And I was clinging to a false refuge, really, that if I found a relationship, found the perfect man, my life would just be incredible. <laughs> Actually, it probably wouldn't be at all. <laughs> The opposite. Um, so, so yeah. So I want. So realize actually, to find true happiness, you find it in yourself. And so working on yourself actually, is, that's where the true happiness comes from. It doesn't come from a relationship with a man. And I really believe that. So you know, Dharma changed that storyline completely. And really was so freeing. It's like, oh gosh, I can actually go out and just join myself now. I don't have to worry about you know being the plus one or being on the shelf or whatever. Um, and there's, there's a really nice quote by E.M. Foster which I really, not, really like and it uh, says we can spend our whole life preparing to live yeah. and that's exactly what I felt I was doing putting my life on hold really waiting for this special person um, and I think another aspect around that was I learned about meta and the difference between loving kindness and romantic love which I hadn't come across before. Um, and the fact that one is conditional and the other, the other isn't. And I've used, been able to embody metal a lot actually and really able to help me through different experiences in life really. And I suppose one of the strongest experiences I had was when I was on pilgrimage in India. And um, I went with people from the Sangha. It was an amazing experience. Um, but I ended up going with a guy who was seen at the time, but then we broke up before we went. So, 
uh, I knew some challenges would come up and I knew the big areas of discomfort. Anyway, yes, something arose and um, yeah, and he told me something I wasn't particularly happy about, so I started to feel really quite angry about it and I didn't know how to deal with it and I thought, how dare you ruin my pilgrimage experience by telling me something I didn't want to hear. <laughs> So, and I just reacted really badly. And this is on pilgrimage as well. I was thinking, oh no, what we're going to do about this? And I thought, I'll just have a time out on my own. Because what I do is, you know, if I find something difficult, I'll go and retreat and hide. I just won't face it. I'll go and hide away. Anyway, so I did that. And I stayed in the room on my own. And anyway, woke in the morning, even worse. I thought, oh, that didn't help. Anyway, we were at uh, Vulture's Peak at the time. So I went up to Vulture's Peak. And I really had a strong sense that the only thing that could help me was really embodying metta, really physically embodying it, so it actually soaked into my whole being. So I went into Saraputra's cave, where Saraputra used to meditate. Just felt really appropriate to do that. And I just sat there and I thought, I'm not going to move until I'm filled up with metta from my toes all the way up. And, and, I, and I did, and I sat there, and there's groups of people walking past, loads of monks walking past, waiting to get in the cave, but I'm sitting here till I fall metta. And I did, and I could feel it like, moving upwards. And it was just an amazing experience, and that has always kept with me, and I know I can go to refuge to metta. Um, so, I spoke longer than I thought, actually. Um, let me just see what... I suppose the third aha moment I kind of had was Bante's teaching on the individual and the individualists and the difference between them. That's really spoke to me, actually. And it, I think it's because, you know, when you read in a text, I actually read it and I laughed out loud. I was reading it, laughing out loud, thinking, I've spent all my life trying to be an individualist by conforming to societies of what is an individual. And actually, I just thought it was hilarious. For, but it was really freeing as well, because it enabled me to just let go and just be myself. I didn't have to be different, quirky. or I just had to be myself, you know, and that, and that would be fine. Just try and realise my, my true potential, my Buddhahood. Um, and then really to suppose where I'm at now is, um, I mean, there's loads of aha moments, but they're the ones going to stand out, really. And I suppose now I've been to high school, or started my first year at high school at Toronto, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was an amazing experience. And what I really feel like now, I really want to integrate all these aha moments, because I really feel like I've matured in my practice. And I'll mature you know, over the years, really. And that really feels really exciting, actually, to be doing, to be doing that. Um, my biggest thing at the moment is, there that I'm working on, is trying to get a balance between being and doing. And anyone that knows me will know that this is something I bang my head against the wall about all the time. Um, but it feels quite, it feels so strong that I'm too busy, that it feels like it's suffocating my practice, actually, quite a lot. Um, I need to find space um, to be at, actually to be able to, yeah, um, just explore those aha moments more, have moments of creativity. Um, so I just want to say, really, to end with that, I am finding support to do that, and one of the biggest areas is the sangha. 
I mean, I haven't really mentioned that because we talk about the Dharma Jewel, but the Sangha, you know, for me is absolutely central to my whole practice, my study group, my GFR group, you know, and, and everybody who I've met along the way is like really central to my practice. So that's where I get my support. Um, and we're also studying transcending views as well, which is very challenging. But it's great because I think it will challenge that narrative I have about needing a balance between being and doing because I actually think it's becoming a mantra now and it's not helpful. <laughs> so I want to look at those views about what is it about that. So, yeah, any tips gratefully received. <laughs> Thank you.